Today on Teton Sports Talk, we have Kate Zeleth in studio. She updates us on her life, on her trips to Alaska, her new projects that she has coming out. And if you're looking for our regular show, please download our podcast. It'll be available only in podcast form. So if you're listening on the radio, you will get Kate Zeleth in studio. And if you want to catch our college football pick em, the huddle, the three up, three down, please go to our podcast platform, Teton Sports Talk, download and enjoy. And now, Kate Zeleth. Hey, you want to hear a good joke? Nobody speak, nobody get choked. Sports fans, it is Friday here on 89.1 KHOL and Teton Sports Talk is here to bring you a little bit closer to your weekend. I'm your host, Massey Zeman, and down in Texas, Graham Trainer. Yeehaw! No? Oh, Nothing? I thought you had a follow-up thing. Are we oh, screwing well, this I'm, up twice? Who, who's no, who's you gonna go, you, you say something now and then we'll introduce Kate. And we're not gonna edit this. We're keeping all this in. <laughs> no, I like to tell you. Kate, last time I did my research, we were talking about skateboard, skateboarder culture, raw, real material. Yep. This is us screwing up. People love this air. stuff. People love this stuff. This is what people want to listen to. They don't want to listen, they don't want to see what your beautiful Instagram life is really like. They want to know what your life is really like. And this exactly. is you know, this the is the reality. Come up with. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Take three. <laughs> all right. All right. So we have Kate Zellup in studio. She has been with us for five years, four years. I feel like we were at the beginning. Does that, I feel like we you had just won Kings and Queens yeah. or you were just about to compete in Kings and Queens, or maybe it was your second year with the title. And now we're onto bigger, bigger things. And that's kind of where I wanted to start. I wanted to start about your movie in the center for the arts this Thursday. Yeah, so I guess it might be going back in time because it's tomorrow. Oh, that's right. I just put it together that we're pre-recording. She knows how to time travel. Right, right, right. Okay. So Good once job. again, we're going to get our editors in here and we'll we'll figure this out. Cool. Um, Todd? So, Todd? No. Uh, but yeah, this year I worked on an all-female project with some girls that I met here in Jackson, Sophie Dannison, um, kind of spearheaded that project along with a number of other women and it was super cool because it was my first project that wasn't a big production company like Teton Gravity Research or Matchstick Productions or Warren Miller. This was very much grassroots and, and these girls kind of came up with this idea where they wanted to tell like the you know the story of like more than just the skiing and the relationships in the mountains and so it's my first like storytelling piece and super excited to bring it here to Jackson and we had a time in Golden like three weeks ago where we did a premiere and we had a packed house and a standing ovation and it really resonated with people so if you get the chance to download Nexus it's a worthy uh, 40 minutes of your time just talking about ski industry talking about different relationships there's an older uh, female duo best friends Jane and Margot that work at Exum and they just have one-liners mm. that'll crack you up all day long so that was a project I was really excited about so all, all female skiers, all female athletes, where where in this world are we are we skiing? So all female athletes as well as the majority female creatives, which is really rare. Like the majority of the time when I'm with TGR Matchstick, I don't have a single female filmer or editor. So it was really cool to have um, – I have had Charlotte Perkle at TGR in the past. But just, you know, having more women around was really cool. And my segment was with Veronica Paulson, 
who's also a local gal. Queen of Corbett's known for her backflip. And we went up yes, to yes. Yeah, Legendary. That was so sweet. So sick. Yes. And uh, we got to go up to Revelstoke and we spent two weeks up there. We actually really struggled with conditions, but the final product I think is really funny. Again, it just like shows what actually goes into making a ski movie. It's not super polished. It's kind of just like us like hucking ourselves in gray, gray, January Canadian fog which we didn't really account for when we went up there and then michelle parker and her sidekick brooklyn spend a couple of weeks up in valdez alaska and they really struck gold up there so like that's like some of the most beautiful skiing and then there's a couple other stories that are really cool like uh, lucy sackbauer and this woman named ingrid they're both nurses by day and professional skiers kind of when they can and their story is really rad and then a cousin duo of these two women who's Mothers kind of had a really interesting upbringing and, and they um, found themselves in the U.S. and teaching themselves to ski and then passing that on to their daughters. So just like it has everything from like your classic like raw, raw, cool ski film vibe to like these really beautiful stories. And I think it, it's a nice way to be more inclusive. There's women of color in this film and there's just like it's not all kind of like that. I can flashy. I can give you I can give you the ski ski movie formula if you don't mind Please. a cynic a cynic hit me because I know it's old we need to the, freshen uh, it up well I I haven't obviously I've not seen this movie because it has not premiered here yet but I will say the um the ski a gnarly line and then everyone chugs liquor and shoots <laughs> off fireworks that's a bit played out and uh, I'm not yeah. against it because who doesn't love that who doesn't love that mm-hmm. but it is one of those things with it, it sounds like it's going to be a more interesting. Uh, like you said, said storytelling. Is there a way that you approach this, or maybe I don't know? You obviously can't speak for all women, but is there a way that women tell stories that is better than than men? It's not saying is there a way. I'm saying how much better is it? How much like <laughs> how much less toxic masculinity is there in a in this this production or film project than it is shooting off fireworks, shooting guns, and then skiing gnarly lines. Yeah, it's like a it's a tricky one because I obviously am like a super privileged white woman who's lived in ski towns my whole life and I love shooting off fireworks and drinking liquor and jumping off big stuff. So <laughs> I see both, but yes, I yes. like also really appreciate that there are women in this film that are like super intelligent and artistic and like are artists and nurses as well as like these women are just like really well-rounded and I think that brings something to the table that's really exciting and it also shows that you don't have to be like singly fast like you can kind of do a bunch of different things in your life you don't need to just be like a skier you can also be a skier and a nurse or a skier and an artist and I think something that I took away was Brooklyn is actually a professional mountain biker. She's been skiing for six years, and now she's skiing up in Alaska, which is very impressive. But she said something that really resonated. She said, I'll never get sick of skiing, but I could get sick of the, like, skiing kind of vibe or, like, the mm-hmm. industry or the lifestyle or whatever it is. And I think that was really eye-opening to me because it's what I know, and it's something that I've, like, put up with to a certain degree, played into to a certain degree. But I also realized how, like – it could be super obnoxious to be around and the toxic masculinity is real. And to answer your question, like Charlotte Perkle, who is the head editor at TGR for two years and unfortunately is, or actually fortunately she's now working on her own and she's going freelance, which is really exciting because she gets to tell her own stories now. But I just think men are really, can be really good at this, but women have, or at least in my experience, have this ability to tell the more human story. Like that's what I was trying to get at. Yes. There's just like the deeper, like, Oh, like, your parents how did they bring you they like ask the questions that maybe can put us in a direction that's like more for like more full circle or like more bigger picture it's less about like 
where'd you ski? What'd you ski? It's like, why do you ski? And, and, and what are the things that like fire you up about skiing? And I think to me, that's really refreshing because I do like to think that I've got more going on than just skiing. And mm-hmm. so to have people like pull that out of me is really cool. And I think like, so Sophie Dannison is the one that, um, there was a bunch of girls again, like Shannon, Katie Lowe, there's a whole crew, but honestly, Sophie did a lot of the editing and she just won. There's an IF3 comp where it's basically a film festival in Canada and they just won best storytelling. So it also like, I thought it was really good storytelling, but of course I'm biased and I think they did a great job telling my story when other companies maybe missed some things or I think they told really kind of like stories that you have to be gentle with, like, you know, like these stories of people of color and entering Mm -hmm. into this community and it is a very white sport and it's kind of like this fragile topic. And I just think they like did a very beautiful job of like kind of touching upon our issues without pointing fingers. Like it's very delicate and feminine in that way. I want to go back to something you said earlier. You said it tells about people's uh, relationships with mountains and beyond what we see um, in the ski movie film. I feel as if I've met people out here, especially in Jackson, have some sort of spiritual connection with the mountain. They, they move around them. In, in ways that I, I like to move around. And so we, we kind of connect and we understand that the mountains have their own personality and they, and they, they give a lot and then they take a lot. Did you, do you have, or can you put a finger on a common thread amongst the people you worked with to produce this project with their relationship with living in a mountain town, or is it their relationship moving around mountains? Was there a common thread that everyone kind of agreed, not agreed on, but found themselves having a, a similar I think the common thread in this film was actually the relationships between the athletes in each segment. So it was kind of like the relationships created when you do spend time in the mountains with people, which, as we know, living in Jackson means that you trust people with your life, really, you know. And I think that's allowed my relationships to kind of come to a deeper level because a lot of my mountain partners I trust with my life and they're also my homies. And so Mm -hmm. it's just like, you know, it's a deeper relationship when you do lean on your friends in high stress situations. Um, But to answer your question on kind of like the relationship of moving through the mountains, I will say that in my experience working with other production companies and mostly male crews versus working with female crews, like we communicated pretty well when anyone was feeling uncomfortable. And I felt like these women were more apt to speak up in an all-female environment. Like sometimes I am the only woman on shoots and now I'm 28, so I kind of am more comfortable speaking up and saying, hey, man, like, you seeing these shooting cracks or are you noticing that it's getting hotter? Where when I was younger, I might be more nervous to say something. I'm coming into my voice, and that's obviously very exciting. But I would say when I operate with women, there's just, like, this huge understanding and respect for the mountains that sometimes my male counterparts have, like, even, like, the the wordage, you know, like, let's go shred that, let's go rip that, let's go, like, it's a very aggressive approach, and mm-hmm. I think that's important for a lot of things, like, you know, being timid is your worst enemy, and, like, you got to be aggressive in the mountains sometimes, but I think I was just, like, really blown away by the respect that we all showed to each other as well as the mountains, and anytime someone spoke up, we, like, took inventory, and you could have that conversation, like, I tend to make a bit more risky decisions, actually, than most of my female counterparts and I don't know oh, we've seen we've seen your risky decisions <laughs> yeah, yeah I like risky and like I try to be as smart as possible but I tend to be the one that's like all right like I see your concern but this is what I feel and I'm trying to be better at you know being conscientious of everyone's risk tolerance because it's different and we were out there to make a beautiful film we weren't out there to like make the best gnarliest ski film we were out there to tell a story and so that was kind of something that I noticed that I kind of was trying to grow with and and take inventory on like 
okay, like I want to go shred this, but also like there are some things that we need to listen to here and getting better at being a team player too. There, good. Yeah. That's not, that's that's very exciting. I, I have a similar relationship with some of my uh, partners, and then again, I'm not producing. I'm not. None of my financial stability involves me skiing. <laughs> Um, but I like to hear that, especially in such a high elevated level that you, you are at, that those conversations still happen. They, you say, Hey, I'm considering a, B and C and, and maybe a is people's general attitude or, or B comfort level. And then C is the terrain or, or whatever it is. That's, that's good to hear. Trainer. Uh, I have completely boxed you out. How, how are you doing over there? <coughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm awake. I'm awake. Um, no, I think there's some good. So I did like a. I think Kate will probably appreciate this. Remember the movie Now and Then from 1995? Oh, man. Now and Then, a classic. A, a women's coming-of-age tale. I basically <laughs> did all my questions now and then, what things were like when we last interviewed you in 2020 and 2021 versus how they are now. Cool. And one of my questions was the creative process and you want to be more involved. At that time, your editors were wearing toe socks and flip-flops, and they were probably all dudes who were pissing you off because you couldn't you know, speak your voice up in the – creative room as much as potentially nowadays. So I was curious if like that's gotten a lot easier for you, kind of what you were touching on with having more say now. Yeah, that's always a tricky one because each production company works differently. So Warren Miller, you go on a shoot, you shoot for two weeks and then you don't see the yeah. footage until you get into the cinema. And when I was working with TGR, Charlotte Perkle was my best friend and she was so open to me coming in and being like, oh, I don't really like that shot. Or like, did you see this shot from that day on like January? You know, like it's all cataloged in my head and I know what I right. want to show. And so then we got to like the music is always something really like music's the most in, like the most expensive part about ski films, actually. So, yeah, I, like, you, I think you've told us that. Like getting what you want. Like I'm never going to get a the Beyonce The naked ladies are expensive. <laughs> That would be like maybe attainable, but you know, like, do I want the marinating ladies track? I don't know. But I do, but <laughs> so I think like it's it all it often depends who I'm working with. And, and this year I actually went from working with TGR and moved on over to Matchstick Productions. And I think I noticed I could talk about this in a couple different ways, but I noticed on trips as well as in the editing department, because I was so new, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't overstepping my boundaries. And I don't know if that's a female thing or what, but I just like didn't want to be like the squeaky wheel or ask too much because I was new to the program. And in a lot of ways, I felt very lucky to be part of the program. I would argue that so Matchstick Productions, the film that I was in up at that same IF3 festival, they just mm -hmm. won best film of the year. So these athletes, in my opinion, are the, the best in the world. And I was up in Alaska in February with Craig Murray, who's an up and coming like potent like he's incredible. He's 20, 24 and he did a double flat three off natural train in Alaska, which is just like, doesn't even matter. It's un unheard of. And Logan Pahoda, who's a Red Bull athlete and Sam Cohen and like all these athletes that are like hard charging top of their game males that are crushing and you show up to a zone. And if you're lucky, there's three lines, but usually two. And I was new to the crew. I was the only girl. There was a female guide, which was cool because then there was like a little bit of feminine energy. But I knew these dudes could like backflip off of everything or trick off of everything. And so I kind of gave up the lines that I was excited about because I didn't want to just ski it and straight air it, which is what I do. And yeah. I wanted them to like do what they can do. Cause like ultimately you are all on the same team trying to make the sickest film possible. So one of my not, takeaways, not step on toes, the, there's, there's bureaucracy. Oh yeah, 
fully. And I think it's also that's on me, you know, like if I said, hey, hey, boys, like I would love to take that the meat line, they would probably be fired up. But it was in my head. And then I get up there and I would already be nervous that I was going to mess it up. And that's like on me. So I realized that I really need to work on my confidence and be able to kind of speak up because I do deserve to be there. I think it's just a matter of like getting used to the crew. So I would say like as I find my confidence, I also am aware that like when I'm in a new situation, I tend to kind of lose my voice again. So it kind of ebbs and flows when I'm comfortable and I feel like I'm worthy and deserving. I will definitely say my piece. And then if I'm a little bit like trying to figure out the scene, but unfortunately, like that trip up to Alaska, we had two weeks and we only skied two and a half days. So I didn't get the, I know we were grounded for most of the time. And so I didn't get my confidence up in time to say, boys, give me the meat line. And so I wasn't as proud of my skiing. And luckily I was able to go on other trips and make it happen. But it was just kind of a learning progress or process being with a new group of dudes. Like I figured out the TGR dudes and I gained my respect and now I was in a new yeah. pool of dudes and I kind of felt like I had to start fresh. Is there no, I'm um, sure it's intimidating. Super. So intimidating and something you had touched on last time was you had reached out or you talked to a girl named Kristen Ulmer. Oh that, yeah. Did I get that right? Yeah. She was somebody who kind of like was big, big time. And then she just kind of hung them up. And then you reached out to her and talked about facing fear versus kind of burying it deep and like the toxic masculinity of like raw raw like pound the chest and just stomp stomp the line bro get get huck neck as they say oh right? yeah huck neck. all that's yeah. real <laughs> so yeah no it's good it's a good like positive message to send to people that want to like get their confidence up to be able to like get in front and take that meat line take the meat line i also yeah. would say that like the dudes that i'm skiing with and the creatives that like I was so lucky. I was up on this trip with Scott Gaffney, who's a legend of the industry. Shane McConkie was his best friend. They basically spearheaded Matchstick Productions back in the day. Two of my personal heroes. And he wanted me to crush. You know, there was no lack of support. And like I said, the guys that were on that trip were so supportive of me. Like Sam's a good friend. Craig and has become a good friend. And Logan is such an incredible skier. And he is so supportive. So there was no, no one telling me I couldn't have the meat line. I think it's just like almost that like systemic piece where... I feel as a woman, I should just like let the dudes have it. And that's something that I, we as women need to take control and change because I feel like the men are supportive enough to let us have it. It's just us being brave enough to ask for it. And like, you know what, if I crash, I crash. But that's like, if I don't, then that would be really sick. And that would be something that I would be proud of instead of leaving, feeling like I left something on the table. So is your process, you mentioned that you only got to ski two and a half days. Do you fear uh, feel now that your process is four days, five days? Is it just getting to know the crew, or is it are you far enough along in your professional skiing career where you're like, I know my process. I need to do X, Y, and Z to get to my highest performance. And that I'm just making things yeah, yeah, up. Yeah. Just I correct would, me. Just make me stop talking. There's some of that that I feel like Alaska's really hard because one, it was in February, and I literally got off the. I went paragliding in Mexico came home and got the phone call. So I hadn't actually even been on skis more than two days before needing to go up and just like be the best I could possibly be. So that played into it. And I think to answer your question, my process is more understanding the terrain and the size. So like when you go up to Alaska, you can go to one mountain range and things are pretty manageable. And then you can go to another mountain range and things look manageable, but they're three times the size because you're on sighting. So you're not actually standing next to the cliff. You're basically guessing. So for me, to this, this is so 
cool to listen to, by the way. Like that, I can't be- it's I, pretty wild. Like flying from a helicopter, looking at cliffs, yeah. and you're like that one. Totally, and until, I'll never do that. It's wild, and I like to go last because then you can see a human next to a cliff, and then tell how big that cliff is, and then look at another cliff and be like, well, if that one's like, and oftentimes like, you in some beautiful capacity, you push yourself more than you mean to in Alaska because you're like, oh, that's a 25 footer, no big deal, and then you ski it and you're like wow, that was way bigger than I thought, but you stomped it and you kept going and you would have never hit it if you knew how big it was, right? So it's like, you kind of trick yourself, but I would say my process is more just like slowly ramping up. Like I start kind of slow because also you don't want to be the idiot that on your first day goes out and like jumps off something huge and gets hurt because there's also, as much as our job is to be really gnarly and to go off big stuff, you also need to be somewhat calculated. Otherwise you wouldn't be a professional because the reality is you have one shot or one run to get a shot. And if you crash, then you get nothing. And if you take something a little bit smaller and you land it, you get something. And so I tend to start slow, gain my confidence, but then I have noticed that I do once I've like in my head peaked or pinnacled, like when I was in Century with MSP, which is just outside of gold in this really beautiful hut we flew into, there was like this cliff that I was eyeing the whole trip. And I think it was like 55, 60 feet. Okay. And I hit it once, tomahawked, but I knew I could land it, went back up, hit it, stomped it, and I felt good, you know? Yeah. Like, I was like, okay, I ramped, 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 that was it, and then I kind of felt like it was time. I had three more days on the trip, I was tired. Like, I try to really take inventory on my mental state and my body as much as I try to push it, because I have pushed it too hard and gotten really hurt, and that's something that I'm trying to take inventory on, because inevitably, if you are tired and you're pushing yourself, that's when bad things happen. So there's, there's definitely a formula, I don't think it's as, as calculated as I wish it was, it's not like I like show up and I like go for a run, you know, like yeah. it's it's very dependent on where we're flying and the mountains that we're flying in and snow conditions too. Like it's hard when you go to Alaska and you get three feet and it's um, more of a coastal snowpack. So they're like totally fine hopping on that within, you know, 30 hours where here I wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pole yeah, or I wouldn't exactly. touch it with anything. So I guess that was also something that I... Like trusting the guides is something that I am working on because it's just foreign to me here in the Tetons. And you just have to be okay with understanding that different snowpacks settle differently and that it's not going to slide on you. So I'm also like kind of taking inventory on how much it's sloughing and what I'm dealing with. So there's like a lot of things that go on. It's kind of a complex. I have, I have a couple of questions, but you just said slough. I've heard that slough management in Alaska is the first thing you learn how to do because you learn it the hard way. Yeah. Was that the case with you? It's really like a river. Like when your slough hits you, it's like moving water and you can fight it. Like I've made mistakes and been okay because you kind of just have to muscle it, but it definitely can can whip you pretty good. And yeah, you tend to try not to make the same mistake twice because when you fall in Alaska, you tend to fall like thousands of feet. So you're kind of like, I don't want to do that again, but there's a whole art to it. You <laughs> Sorry, know, that was, that was so understated. I had to laugh. What, if I can, can I phone a friend for a Wikipedia definition? It's what is it? Slum? Slough? S L U F F. I think but sure. it for, the is, fa- for me and for me and the fans. Of course. Uh, it's basically is, a loose avalanche, a loose snow avalanche, but in big mountain oh, skiing, okay. it's like, uh, to paint a picture, you would either start on skiers left or skiers right and trend in one direction because as you disturb the snow, you're creating loose snow avalanches and you try not to send that onto your line because it will pull away all the fresh snow, if that makes sense, or it'll take yeah, you yeah. down. So you have to be really conscientious when you're picking your line that you're sending your slough in directions that won't mess with you going forward. So you have to pre-plan your your run to make I sure you're... I- 
avoid yeah them. i guess i was just never radical enough to come across somebody throwing slough out at me when i was <laughs> out in jackson skiing i just never heard slough before I, it, I, I love i love the new terms i learn when kate joins the show <laughs> it has to be really steep usually like okay. it's moving really quickly and it's light density snow and it makes a beautiful shot like it makes when it's when it the slough is cool. pouring it's really rad and if you manage it well i think some of the most beautiful shots in ski films are when someone is in really nasty terrain and managing and obviously some of the viewers don't maybe understand what they're doing but as a skier i'm like wow he's a sign or like she's a wizard you know like you're like wow they're really handling it well because i'm sure you watch ski movies in a different way than than your average show like us i think so i think we all do as skiers and i think it's also funny because we notice i would assume some of our favorite parts of ski films are like something that might not register you know you're like well that like whatever whatever was so cool and the way they like linked this and that because you understand how hard that is yeah type of thing but so you mentioned something about mental and physical health where are we are we i know that you've been banged up uh was it was it last winter you broke your leg that Two was actually the year before covid because i broke my leg and then we went into lockdown and i was really lucky with my timing because i didn't miss anything Okay. All right. So that, well, that answers that question. You're, you're feeling healthy. You're feeling strong now. I feel really good. I actually had like a really good season. I pushed my body really hard last year and took some real slams. And I think we've probably talked about it in the past. I'm like pretty on my gym routine and I mostly am in the gym because of injury prevention. Like when I was ski racing, I was in the gym to create power and now I'm in the gym so I can slam and walk away. And yeah, I, it sounds like you're in the gym to get beat up. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty like, much. Well, I better get strong because I'm going to get beat up if I, if I don't. So I just did this, actually, this project that comes out, um, whatever the date is, tomorrow. The, uh, yeah, we get, we'll, we'll be right on that. 6th of October? Cool. Well, um, Bar Fight is a small project I did. It's a five-minute film, and it's basically um, a film with some of my buddies. It's like a raw, just like we were talking about, skate footage, kind of low budget, and it's talking about the similarities of big mountain skiing and bar fighting and it's a bunch of slams Ooh. and it's a bunch of like the footage that don't make the cut for these big ski films that just shows that we are slamming we are taking these big hits so yeah i'm in the gym to protect my ligaments and my bones as much as possible with muscle um and i took a huge fall in alaska this spring that was 25 tomahawks about I watched this, by the way. It's pretty gnarly. That was unbelievable. 2,000 vertical feet or so, and I walked away unscathed, and I am so grateful and definitely think that being physically fit is something I can... 2,000 feet, for those people that aren't able to compute that in their heads, that is falling halfway down JHMR. That's like starting to fall from thunder and ending up at the base of Tiwanot, basically. But much steeper and much faster. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. <laughs> you wouldn't. I, I've fallen plenty of times. I've never made it from Thunder to Tiwanak. It was so. one of those things where I was falling and I had enough time. This is no joke. So like one ski fell off and I was waiting for that pop of a ligament or a bone, you know, like gnarly. Oh my gosh. The other cringe. ski fell off and then I had enough time. I was probably falling for at least 30 seconds. The video itself is 50 seconds long. I think I was falling for about 30 of them. I had enough time to be like so many drunk drivers don't get hurt in car accidents just be as limp as possible. Like I remember that going on as I was like ragdolling down this hill. So yeah, there was like enough time for me to think about my falling technique in this one. So I knew it was like, is this the, funny. is this the tomahawk you were just mentioning where you got back up on the horse quickly and like yeah. kind of going through how that, you, that was crazy like, too, actually. Cause I flew the next day. So I like took this huge crash. It was the last run of the day. It was like 6 PM. 
this is classic. They took me back to the lodge and I drank whiskey. So. Yeah, well, hey, hey, I'm nothing against that. Noth- nothing against that. Maybe I should have gotten a C-spine check or like maybe you should have checked my bot, whatever. Palpitate something. Yeah, something. Just to make oh, me feel grandpa, better. Grandpa's cough syrup. You're Honestly, good. I was down for grandpa's cough syrup. The next day I was the most sore I've ever been, but I refused. Gosh. I knew that we had one more day to fly and I refused to not go up because I was concerned. I had never taken a fall like that. And I didn't want that to be my last memory of the season going into the summer because that stuff haunts you. So I went back up and I skied something and up there like I was my my body was shaking like I had never experienced before and I had no control of it. Like my mind wasn't scared. Like I was on a very mellow run that I knew that I can handle. But my body's reaction was very eye opening. Um, And but yeah, got back on the horse and ride a rock now. But those things like if you don't take it like take those things seriously, you can kind of scar yourself, you know, like the whole PTSD trauma of these gnarly crashes or avalanches or whatever they might be you have to kind of address those things and i think a lot of the industry or old industry used to like you know party those issues away and now we're starting to deal with them which i think is obviously healthy for going forward that is so hell yeah sister um (laughs) (laughs) i uh man 25 tomahawks 2000 feet and then the gonads to go up there and do it all again um well that yeah you still go ahead i was gonna say are you Kate, are you still wearing the puffy pants these days to get the lactic acid out? You know it. Normatec for the win. They help me out so much. <laughs> ice bathing and puffy pants. Those are okay. savior. Can I talk about the ice bath for Please. a second? Please. It's ice bath season, boys. Please what do. are you doing out there? Oh, so You're I'm like, Wim Hofing oh, my heart out. What I don't know what Wim Hofing is, but you, you can explain it. But if no anybody clue. doesn't know, Kate puts up a camera and then goes jumps in the snake at December and then acts like... She's okay with it, and, and I just, <laughs> it just blows my mind. I want to I want to respond to some of those posts, like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, I think female anatomy works better in those things. You know, like a lot of my dude friends are like, oh, I'm not down. And I'm like, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> so all I think right. I have an advantage, but um, that's one thing too. Like I find, obviously, your body's your mind is telling you not to get in the snake when you're breaking ice with your foot to make room for yourself in the water, but. That's one of those things, like, I have this, like, crazy desire to understand fear and understand my body. And I think that's, like, an an easier place to practice because it's controlled and I can fight my brain. And then, to be completely honest, like, this is some hippy-dippy. But you get in there and your body kind of goes into fight or flight. And if you can find your breath, it actually turns into, like, a very cool, almost meditational state where things slow down. And I'm only in there for three minutes, but I come out and I feel so good. And I think it's good for me to do on like off days because it kind of allows my body to have that same release as like hitting a big cliff that my brain tends to crave for whatever reason and I can do that and then feel so calm like after it's like I went for like you know when you go for a good run and you kind of have or like you go whatever I haven't done one of those in a while (laughs) you do something and you feel really good after it's like it's one of those things that sucks at the time and then after you're like I don't know kind of you forget the pain yeah like type three fun or whatever it is Except for you don't do that again the next week like you tend to do in the snake. It's also so good for your muscles. So if I'm really sore, I'll go and I'll do that and then I'll walk away and feel really good. So twofold. All right. Well, if it works, it works. I'll take it. It's great. You'll love it. You got to have booties, though. My feet, I wear like wetsuit booties. Okay. All right. The toes suck. Antonio Brown, Massey. You know, Antonio (laughs) Brown. (laughs) He, uh, he, Backstory, he froze his feet off in a cryogenic chamber. Uh, He's a wide receiver, and his feet, the skin of his feet fell off. Oh, my God. He's also a terrible human being, but don't don't worry about it. That's karma. That's karma. Yeah. yeah. He might have had a couple of TBIs. Thanks, Josh. Perfect. He's a weirdo. He didn't, you know, deserve to almost lose his feet, but, yeah. (laughs) That's uh, what happened. He's a strange strange, uh, human being. 
<laughs> Does it feel like you, so you have had a lot of interviews and this is this um this might have been covered already. Do you feel like more like I don't know I don't know how to phrase this. You mentioned a couple of times in the past people would get their fear and shove it down and on the surface they would be cool and tough and and ready to go. Do you find more professional athletes addressing their mental state or addressing their fear and being open about it? And the way you do it, and this is going to be a compliment, is I find it to be a little more authentic. Because I think somebody standing on top of a 3,000-foot Alaska ski line saying, no, I got it. I'm good. I'm not scared. That's bullshit. <laughs> so, so like, is it, it, does it help, though, to, to look at someone and be like, I'm scared. I'm going to do it anyway? Yeah. Big, I think for me, it's getting it off my chest. But I also have to be conscientious of my my like athlete cohorts and how they deal with fear. Like some people don't deal with fear the way that I do. And I have to be con- conscientious of putting my fear out there because I don't want to freak them out or get in their head. But I notice if I'm like, whew, I am nervous. The second I say that, I'm acknowledging the fact that I'm nervous instead of pretending that I'm not. And that tends to help me calm down and I'm nervous because I'm supposed to be. I think it's like really important too to speak about how like some of these risks feel scary because you're on top of a big line and some of these times you're scared because this something could slide on you. And if that's the fear, you got to li- you know, you got to decide if the fear is something that's trying to keep you alive because this is a bad decision or if this is something that you're just naturally afraid of because as a human this is something maybe that's scary. And that's like something that I've been trying to deal with and luckily a lot of my friends in the industry like you know aren't trying to hide that fear anymore so Mm. yeah to your question I do think people are coming to terms with the fact that everyone gets scared and it doesn't make you lesser it doesn't make you weak it's overcoming that fear in healthy situations that aren't you know bad avi conditions that's different but yeah I think there's been a lot of um, forward momentum with mental health and like in the football world, TBIs, you know, there's, there's a lot of people in the ski industry that have hit their head really hard a lot of times. And I think that does tend to lead to some mental health or anxiety or whatever. And forever it was like, don't talk about it. Like you're good. You're a strong guy. And I, I'm stoked. There's a lot of people that are talking about it. Drew Peterson is someone that's definitely speaking out about his mental health struggles. And I just think it, like you said, it just makes you feel more human because we are humans. Like I think America especially puts professional athletes on a pedestal. And sometimes it also creates this, like, you feel like you have to be, you know, superhuman when you aren't. So that's kind of like a tough place to be. But I, yeah, there's like bravery and then there's stupidity and then there's like all these different layers too. You mentioned Alaska last time we got to hang out. Um, you were going on a trip. This would be March of 2021 to, we talked about Seward. I brought up the, uh, Seward purchase <laughs> as an historical event and you had a trip plan. Are you kind of making Alaska an annual thing as a, or biannual thing as a professional skier? I've yeah. Alaska is kind of it for me. Um, I've, yeah, that's where, that's where, that's where it's at. That's where it's at. I think. Yeah. Obviously, the lower 48 is great to prepare, um, and I tend to try to get up to Alaska in the springtime. Especially when, Texas. Especially, yeah, Texas is yeah. firing. <laughs> lower 48. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think my style of skiing, um, that's where I find I push myself the most. I'm not like a trick skier. I'm, I like to, you know, have really big terrain with big airs and link those together, and Alaska is the place to do that just because of the length of the runs, um, as well as, like, all the other things. Helicopters are cool. Yeah. It gets me going. Mm-hmm. Um, Who, I've watched Apocalypse now. You know, helicopters seem to be seem to be pretty sweet. They're super cool, and they're like that's 
just as exciting as the line. So I think it really fuels that kind of adrenaline junkie in me because from the di- like from the beginning of the day, you're like putting on a harness and you're listening to like punk rock and you're getting yeah. into a helicopter. Like that's like heavy and it is cool and it allows me to focus. I've noticed that if I'm not challenged, I don't focus. And so putting myself in situations where I have to 100% be on is actually the safest place for me to operate. It's more dangerous for me to operate when I'm not concerned, yeah. which is funny. Um, and I've just noticed that about myself. So I'm actually putting together a trip this year. And my main focus for this year is a full month trip to Haynes, Alaska. And Haynes is known as kind of um, for spine skiing, like end all be all pinnacle of those like really long silky spines where you're just skiing. Like if you're hitting an air, that's a bonus, but it's so steep that your shoulders are touching as well as your skis. Like it's like (laughs) you're, you're free falling, you know, it's actually almost a different sport. Skiing Alaskan spines feels different than other types of skiing and I really like it and it's also like you're in it you don't there's no stopping once you start you're like fully invested and I like that style of commitment and that style of skiing and so this year I'm going up to Haynes for a month with Mary Rand and in the North Face um does something every year where they allow their athletes to pitch a project and it's called the Expedition Fund and Mary and I had our project picked so we're doing a like a 30 minute film that we're hoping to put into a bunch of film festivals if it if it makes a cut and share the whole preparation process that goes into Alaska, because that's something that is hard to explain, but we will spend a lot of time in Pemberton or in other parts of Canada where it's so steep in Alaska that when you look at the peak from below or the helicopter, you get an idea of what you're going to ski, and then you get to the top, and it's so steep that you can't see anything. And that's like on sighting as a skill on its own. So practicing that, practicing that you know where you're at, because the reality is if you're in the wrong place, you can die. So yeah. it's pretty high stakes. When... Oh, I, got, I have so many, I have so many follow up questions. But um, when you're on top of that, when you're on top and you can't see what's below you, do you use little landmarks that you can see to know where you are? How do you triangulate your position? It's hard, like because there aren't any landmarks because there's no trees, right? And there aren't really any rocks that aren't snow covered. I was super lucky. Like I'm thinking about one line that was so. They call it like ping pong ball where you're just like, I have no idea. And I was so off. I thought I was on top of my line. And I was lucky enough to have, again, these like male counterparts who are really good at what they do because of their amount of time in this terrain. And that's what it takes is time. And I'm still fresh in my – I've been up to Alaska three times now. And in total, I've probably skied eight days because (laughs) the reality of getting grounded so much. So unfortunately it's one of those sports where like you can only practice it when you're there and you get so few times that you just need years and years. And I was like, yo, Craig, like I had a photo of my line. I'm like, you think I'm on top? And he was like, no mate. He's Kiwi. He's like, no mate, Mm -hmm. like 20 feet to your left. And he's really good at it. And he, and they ski with such confidence. And that's something that I need to work on is I kind of like, I'm not as charging and as confident because I'm like, I don't even know where I am. (laughs) And so that's been something I'm working on. But to answer your question, it's like, as you start to roll over and you start to ski, things become obvious, but you're also skiing. So it's like you're thinking and you're kind of being like, oh, that's the cliff to the left. I have to trend to the right. And you're also thinking about slough management and you're also thinking about skiing well. So that like that's the part that's like a puzzle and a mental game that almost reminds me of like climbing or, or something in which it's like the mental aspect is also what keeps me coming back to Alaska because you can't just like huck and pray. Yeah. You have to be like pretty dialed and it just takes time like that. There's no real rhyme or reason. There's no picking. Like when I did Corbett's, I knew that I had to, you know, point at the sleeping Indian's neck because I like picked a point on the horizon. I knew that that was the direction in which I was heading. 
up there, it's definitely you're picking it apart, making sure you're in the right place. And of course, as you continue to do that and you do it successfully, you gain confidence. But then you have one line and you're off and you lose all of your confidence and you have to start fresh. Is that moment of of when you're juggling all that, you're putting the puzzle together, you're skiing, you're slough managing, you're trying to make a film, so you're trying to do it all in one go. Is there a level of focus that is just the six inches in front of your face yeah. where you feel like there's at time has stopped and Fully, the presence yeah. is then present is the only thing that matters? Yeah, it's funny. Like you hear flow state being thrown around and that term has been kind of I've been questioning if that's real, you know, like for like before going up to Alaska, it's like, does the flow state really exist? Like, are there ever times? <laughs> where you, but then you're up there and. Like sometimes I've, I think I've probably spoken about this in the past. If I've hit a big cliff or I've done something in which I am in that state, I tend to not remember it. And so that's kind of how I know that I'm in that state. And to the point that you made about focus, like these days in Alaska are really long, too, because the daylight hours, if like in February, they're shorter. But when you're up there in the spring, you have like potentially 10 hours in which you're operating and you're flying around in a helicopter, right? Like your adrenals are just going off. And then I get home and I'm so drained. And I mostly think it's not because I'm exerting myself because I'm taking a helicopter to the top and the skiing is gravity fed. Like I can do that all day long. It's the mental side that drains me. You'll be laying in bed and it feels like you're still flying around in helicopters. Like, you know, when you get off a boat. Yeah. So I'm like sitting there and I feel like I'm moving and I'm just so drained and it's mostly that mental exhaustion. So that's kind of aware, like just awareness that I am fully tapping everything I've got. And it's not so physical at that point. Like obviously you train all year and it's a sport, but the mental aspect and the like just pure attention it takes is the most draining piece. Yeah. What is, what is the quick question? What is the hours of operation on a day like that? You got to be up at what time and you got to, you're like, I'm in bed feeling like I'm on a sleeping on a water bed. <laughs> Running on a treadmill still at at what hour? Yeah, the spring is a trip up there. So we're mostly kept to uh, the helicopter pilot hours. So they can't Mm. operate like more than 10 hours. And basically you can ski until 830 at night up there in the spring. But if you do, you actually have to go up later because they need a certain amount of time off their helicopter to recover, which I'm all about. Like (laughs) those guys should rest as much as they need because they're putting us on peaks at helicopters like – aren't really supposed to, you know, like they're definitely pushing the operating limits of helicopters and I want to respect that. But the crazy part is you wake up quite early, say like, you know, six, whatever, not crazy early, go out there and you ski. But then the main from about like 12 to three, the light is what they call too hot because it's too bright and the cameras, you get lost as a skier. So you actually don't really shoot during those days. So you kind of go out till it gets too hot and then you take a little lunch break, siesta. You might fly back if you've got the hours, but heli hours are a whole nother conversation because it's like $2,500 an hour and you got to be careful with them because it's a whole game of like operating, you know, not spending all of your budget flying back yeah, to take no. a siesta. So you tend that's to like- a lot of pressure right there. Oh that's my God. Of, yeah. That's like the biggest pressure. <laughs> yeah. Luckily we have drones now, so we're not like flying a helicopter with a camera as well as- Oh, I never th- considered yeah. that. Yeah. So drones have saved us a lot of stress and money and jet A, mm. but- Basically, take a little siesta, and then you have an evening session. But, yeah, three days of that back-to-back, and you're pretty much toast. It's like, that's a full pull. But, like I told you before, unfortunately, you tend to, if you have three days in a row, you're psyched. Like, that's yeah. a big chunk of time in Alaska. So, you know, it, it tends to shut you down before you're too tired to function. But that's also another thing you have to take into consideration. Like, when I crashed up in Alaska this, this um, spring, 
I was coming off another trip with that bar fight crew and I had taken this huge cliff to just flat like an idiot. Like I was all fired up. I was excited. I was stomping everything I got up to and I had too much confidence and I hurt myself. I like scorpioned and like kind of pinched something in my lower back. So I was already not feeling great. And that day I should have maybe backed off. But because we only had six heli hours, I wanted to go for it. So I have to start paying attention to you know, all those things too, because you are being pushed by the amount of hours you have, the time you have, the snow's good right now, you got to go regardless of if your body's in it or not. So just like judging where you're at is super important. And honestly, telling your body and your mind that you got this is like a skill. And that's like something that I continue because like you like, I don't know, you have to sometimes like that's your job, you know, like my job is to go and crush when the light's green. And so making sure that like, if it's not super good snow, you're taking it easy because you know tomorrow's going to be good. It's just like this whole math equation. Now, on top of skiing, you you have another hobby. Not a hobby. Well, maybe it is so, a hobby. I try to make it a hobby. Well, skiing skiing is – you just well, specifically mentioned that it was professional. But would you consider flying a hobby? Flying's a hobby. I can see it. Sponsors love it. So they keep trying to make me do yeah. it in front of cameras. And that's something that I'm super conscientious of because it is a really dangerous sport that I don't like with skiing. I am a professional. I am an expert. I trust myself. I know how to make decisions. I don't get on lines that I'm not capable of. Like I know where I stand. I'm willing to push it. With flying, I'm not willing to push it because I'm still new and I'm still learning. So if a camera's on me and I don't feel right with flying, I just like shut it down. But right now it's still a hobby. I've done some projects. I try to make them most passion projects. Like I told you before the show, I flew off Mount Washington, Mount Washington, which is the biggest peak on the East Coast where I'm from, during fall foliage. And that's something that was like, wow. I did it in perfect conditions, as safe as I possibly could. And I did have a camera crew and we made something cool. But I'm trying to like not allow the pressure that I know comes with a camera to interfere with my like learning curve and to push me when I'm not ready to be pushed. Are there any hobbies that you have that aren't like really stinking dangerous? <sighs> Do you like drive fast? Do you even have a case on your phone? Do you just like have a? Sometimes I go without a case. Oh, God, I'm feeling real dangerous. You're feeling. You are adrenaline. <laughs> I definitely drive really fast. Like that's definitely something I should be better at. I love Wyoming because it's like you can, I shouldn't even say it, but you can like get emails <laughs> done and go 80. But I definitely tend to take risks. I think those are things that fire me up. But like you know, cold plunging. Not a ton of risk in that. I have a couple of like. What do you, what do you mean? You just float <laughs> downstream when you go. Absolutely. There have been times where I'm like, oof, I should not be alone doing this. Um, but yeah, I tend to gravitate towards the things, but I'm also trying to be aware of like the taking inventory on how much my brain is scared and that sometimes like I need to just chill out even when I'm jonesing to go jump off something. You gotta take in like choose your battles. We are wired really differently. I admire <laughs> that about you. Thanks. Trainer, I was gonna I was gonna pepper with some questions unless you had something else. No, I was gonna say, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm obviously wired even more of an outlier than Massey. So um, my question was about I think you had said you'd started flying in May of 2020. Right after I broke my the, leg. Yeah, the two and a half <laughs> year mark, you not to bring up breaking your leg, but <laughs> you fine. become a bird. Mm. Finally, or yeah. something. Do you feel that we're almost at the two and a half year mark? Did you feel like you you know, got through a, like a big, like milestone this summer with, with the flying, with the paragliding. I will say I had a flight. Um, I was telling Massey before the show, I went to Indonesia and I went flying in Bali. And, um, the cool thing about flying as anything, I guess there's different types of it. And here mountain flying is really dangerous. So we've got 
really thin air at high altitude, as well as turbulent weather, as well as all this crazy rocky terrain and wind funnels funnels in in crazy ways. And so when I was in Bali, I was beach flying, so coastal flying, and it was so smooth. And I had this like moment where I did feel like I was in control, like I was flying, like I was a bird, where most of my flights here in Jackson, because of how strong our thermals are in the summer too, that like I'm hanging on. Like, I don't want to say that every time I land, I feel like I got away with something, but every flight pushes me in one way or another here and going and doing a coastal flight, I felt really confident. I felt really capable. And that I think was a turning point in my career of like, like anything, right? When you start, you're like, this is a death trap, even skiing. And then you get better and you're like, oh, now I'm having fun. I'm like creating a style. I'm like in control and I'm having that experience with flying. And I think I've been taking that one pretty slow and I'm still learning a lot and have a long way to go. But I definitely had a turning point in Bali where I was like, oh, I'm like flying. Like I'm like, oh my God, I got, got this. this. Yeah. And that felt really good because, yeah, it's never fun to be scared the whole time. But that's obviously like part of the learning process when you're a beginner in anything. It's even learning to drive. You're like, oh, just dodged a bullet there. Yeah, like maybe <laughs> yeah. I should not have done that. What is? So you grab you grab thermal, as they say. Oh, I'm grabbing thermal all the time, but it's nice. just a little Where rodeo. did you get grabbing thermal? This kid's, he's full oh, of I them. did my research, oh Massey. My God, I'm embarrassed. I, I, was, <laughs> I, went the, I went to the archives. We talked, we had some terms back then. I want to know if there were some new terms since he's two and a half years in. There's grabbing uh, thermal, color in the sky. I want to know if there's any new slang for ooh, flying. I'm sure there is. There's always slang. Like every little niche sport has these ridiculous terms that I feel like I, my mom is always like, what, what are you, why are you talking like that? You have said something during this interview a couple of times where I've nodded and been like, I have no idea what a flat three is off of a, <laughs> off of whatever she just said. Yeah, I was dolphining. I was dolphining. All That's right. a hard one to say. So I'm like you like pull on your brakes and you make it like, I was doing like mini okay. wingovers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically like a dolphin does, but in the sky. So there's all those terms, but I think those are pretty widely accepted. Nice. Like flipper. Flipper. Exactly. That's what I was doing. Yeah. I have to uh, I have to ask you a question about your senior superlatives in your yearbook. Oh, these I'm proud wow. of these. Picking um, up. That's I mean you're going way. I, oh, speaking of which, just got inducted into the Hall of Fame of my high school. Let's oh, go Hornets. Oh, Woo! <laughs> well, so oh, wait, wait, the Hall of Fame of high school? Yeah, I'm going back June 3rd for an induction ceremony. My mom oh, is awesome. making me so. She was like, you got you got to get yeah, in. Yeah. Do you get a trophy? We, I hope so. Medal or have something. Have we gotten a? Uh, corbett's hall of fame induction yet i think we're too early but hopefully i'd, I'd like to okay. think i'd get one of those you, you gotta retire officially yeah i have some more time i guess okay cool i've retired <laughs> you were voted most likely to be famous don't you love that i love that um is there anybody <laughs> in your high school that's more famous than you uh not in my year oh, i guess i don't really know but um Come on, get higher. Loosen your hips. Faith and desire. And the sweet Nathaniel, whatever he went to Proctor, whatever. Whoever Nathaniel that. Ratliff? No, no. I wish he was a whoever. Rock That's whoever who I was that gonna guess too. Beautiful lyric I just sang. He oh, he was from my high school. Parachute. Parachute. Is that the name of the band? I only know this because he was a senior speaker at our my graduation. But uh, Harry Styles. I'm pretty <laughs> no. sure it's Parachute, and I'm, I'm no, embarrassed I that I like know that. I think it's. I feel bad that it's. I don't remember. But he was at my high school, and he's a pop star, sort of. So. All right. All right. So well, there, there was. Second place is good. Silver's good. Silver's. I'll take silver. There was one that said most likely to be on ESPN. Has Bree Davis or Ryan Powers been on ESPN? I bet Ryan Powers has. What? What is? It, what is he famous for? Football. 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 That's a great. I mean, 
the name Ryan Powers. Right, you would think. Bree Davis is a doctor now. Well, I Googled Ryan Powers, and there's a lot of people. There's a software engineer. There's uh, uh, some other LinkedIn pages that I thought were boring. But there is a Ryan Powers that killed his girlfriend. I don't think it's him. Okay, all right. Just check it. Just yeah, check yeah, it. Yeah, no. Was, no, <laughs> I don't like, think. You know, I should go back to a reunion and ask. But he was like a – got maybe drafted? Definitely played in college. Don't know. So um, another question. Is it possible for you to text somebody and get on the elevator and get up to the tram dock? How many plus ones do you have for that move? Zero. The yes. actually the only time I've done that is oh, I'm gonna throw him under the bus. Forrest Jilson did it. He was like that was like one of my first years in Jackson. Forrest is a local kid. Sorry if I get him in trouble, but he's like his dad's on patrol, born and raised at Jackson Mountain Resort. You're one of our, okay, cool. One of the first times we went shooting, he was like, We're not standing in that line. I'm like, Well, what are you talking about? That's how you get up on the tram. He's like, come on, come on, come on. But I think you have to be like very chill and I think Jackson's a little too big time now to have those. I can't text anybody. I wish I could. I can get like free waffles and stuff. All right. Well, I'll write down free waffles, but I'm going to. We talked. Oh, yeah. We talked about the uh, elevator. Massey Massey had a shameless plug to get like perks from the mountain last time. You mentioned a free dinner at RPK3. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. Take that up with Mary Kate. I'm sure she'll get you sorted. I installed, <laughs> I installed all that wavy mountain stuff in there. You, you know the wavy it. mountain stuff? That's like the decor. Ooh. I was up on a scaffolding installing that one day. Well, that should get you perks. No, no, not in. They, they, they say they say thanks and make sure the door hits us on the way out. <laughs> um, let's see. I was I was going through some more superlatives. Rosie Snyder. Oh wow. Most likely to raise unicorns. Do you feel like you're more likely to raise no. unicorns? No, Rosie. Rosie was like wear a cape to school type of girl, and mm-hmm. I dig that. You know, like definitely loved her confidence, but she's probably operating witchcraft somewhere maybe doing a little witch so what grade what grade did she wear the unicorn all the way through even to graduation yeah, maybe yeah. yeah she no was shame. one of a kind she's curious. maybe Very she's cool. a witch she might be, be I mean, cool if she was I, I don't know any witches rosie snyder if you hear this i'd like to pick your brain um, me too <laughs> all right sports fans that's all the time we have i have to thank kate zell so much she comes in on the show and deals with our bs once a year and we truly appreciate your time, and, and thanks. And, and everyone go out and see your newest movie. Please plug it again. We got Nexus, and that is the all-female film. Also in Matchstick Productions, anywhere from here. Just one best film of the year. That should be coming out streaming soon. And then Bar Fight goes live, online only, five minutes smackdown. Raw footage. Where can you get... Bar, where can you get bar fight? Because I want to watch that. Yeah. I'm going to throw that up on my Instagram soon. So check out Kate go. underscore Zeliff, spelled C-A-I-T-E underscore Z as in zebra, E-L-I-F-F as in Frank, and you'll get all the SmackDown goods. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> well done. So polished. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bar fight. I haven't been one of those in years. All right. All right, guys. That's it. And that's all.